You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Uh, eight, 18 and a half months, my, I'd been divorced. My dad died. I'd lost my house. I'd lost a job. And I was just reeling. I went through anger. I went through bitterness. I went through hate. I went through alienation. I went through depression. I went through, you know what? What would happen if I just didn't make it through the day? Well, I am so excited for today's show, and today's podcast is brought to you by Roy's Umbrella. I've worked with Roy for a number of years, and trust me on this, folks. You can count on Roy's Umbrella for your home loan. Not only a low rate, but there's no tricks. There's no nonsense. You get to the end of the line, no extra charges. I'm just telling you, this is really like a family business. Roy and his staff, uh, they've been incredibly loyal to me. They will treat you like family. Just go to Roy'sUmbrella.com. That's Roy's Umbrella. My guest today is somebody that I have absolute immense respect for. Uh, He grew up in Southern California. He played collegiately at USC, was undrafted, and then played 10 years of professional football, including a short stint in Winnipeg of the CFL, where he won a Grey Cup championship. He is now on the morning radio in Houston, Texas, 790 in Houston at Sports Talk 790. And he's a guy that not only talks the talk, he walks the walk. And again, immense respect for my guest today, Sean Salisbury. Sean, how are you, buddy? My man, Grant, it's awesome to be on with you. You know I do this for you anytime. I crawl 10 miles over broken glass for you. It's great to hear your voice doing not only what you do, but what you deserve to do. And anything that happens to you good is uh, is the way it should be. So everybody needs to hear your voice. I appreciate it. You know, it's uh, kind of when you think back at our careers, you and I came pretty damn close to doing a show a couple of years ago. We sure did, and I wouldn't have hated that either. That would have been kind of fun, but it did come close. Unfortunately, it didn't work out, but guess what? Young, and the business has a way of bringing good people together, so you never know. But I uh, I was fortunate you and I, years and years, have been, I've been a guest on your show many times, so it's, it's always a pleasure and always loved listening. Great to be on, brother. Sean, take me back to your childhood because when I think of you and I look at everything you've accomplished I think of the word leader were you always like that as a little boy growing up I didn't have a choice I was just raised by good parents but leadership yeah and my mom had my mom not a raised kids 
and been a you know she worked but also and was it was a hairdresser and she designed lobbies for hotels really talented cake decorator all those skills that I don't have but my mother would have I I'm convinced my mother would have been a Fortune 500 CEO she grad skipped two grades and graduated from high school like at 15 years old so I, I was lucky my dad was a hard working guy comes from a you know, like nine kids so I, I was fortunate good siblings but I was in competitive being competitive. And my dad wasn't all about a lot of talk. My mom was the talker at games. My dad would just watch. My dad was about respect and, and leadership. I was just been fortunate with great teammates, great people, and was raised right. That, And I took I took the role serious. And I, I don't take myself too serious, but I took being a leader and trying to make a difference. I've screwed up plenty along the way. But I, th- I think that was instilled in me as a young age that you grasp it and you understand the accountability and responsibility that goes with it. And that. It, it, uh, your teammates just as important as you are, but don't tell me how to do it. Show me how to do it. And that was my parents' philosophy, and and uh, leadership was part of it, and I think it's also part of the DNA of my family. Sean, I didn't realize you were an All-American high school basketball player and received scholarships to USC and UCLA. Was that a tough choice for you to choose football over basketball? I didn't play football high school until I got to college. I mean, to high school. I didn't play tackle football until I got to high school. I didn't never. I played flag football in junior high, which in, in, when, when you hear people playing flag football and people kind of scoff at it, I, I played 11 on 11 junior high flag football. And that's where I learned to read coverage because you knew at the time you weren't going to get hit. So you spent more time instead of looking at the pass rush in a flag football league that you were looking at coverage. And I learned how to take the mental side of reading, being a quarterback, honestly, was during 11 on 11 flag football. And so when I got to high school and finally did play tackle, I was mentally ahead for a guy who didn't play pop Warner or youth football. I played a bunch of tackle football. Now figure this one out. I didn't play tackle football with gear on, but me and my dumbass buddies. <laughs> right. And I wanted to play wide receiver. We'd put t-shirts and I grew up a lifelong diehard still to this day, Oakland Raider fan. And I was Fred Blitnikoff, number 25. Sure. And I had my white t-shirt that you take our, our, you know, our Sharpie and mark it in and put Blitnikoff on where the name goes. But I was a basketball baseball guy first. My dad put me in every free throw shooting contest every pitch hit and run I it didn't matter my dad loved whether you win or lost my dad wanted me to compete we were keeping score in the third grade when I was growing up if you lost seven to six in a baseball game it was how are we going to get better to win eight seven now he wasn't the great Santini nothing but love and was a self-esteem builder but my my dad was you know you got beaten that free throw contest you made 22 out of 25 he made 23 well what are we going to do to make 24 or make them all so I was fortunate. I got recruited by Larry Brown, Digger Phelps, a Judd Heathcote at Michigan State. I was a guy before I blew up my knee that could jump real high. I could actually move. I played. I was pretty, I mean, uh, I was a physical in-your-face defender, and I could score and shoot. So, and, and it's not arrogant. I, I don't, don't misunderstand. I just, I worked at it. I loved it. I'll never forget. I was on a, I was in my own gym in, in uh, at Orange Glen High School in Escondido, and Jerry Faust, who at the time was a Notre Dame coach, he came into the gym and I'm we're getting ready for basketball practice. He was going around and Jerry was, hey, Sean, you, you know, that horse <laughs> voice, Jerry. Found right. that. He said that if I make a shot a half court before you, you got to come to Notre Dame. Now, he's shaking all the players <laughs> hands and walking across campus. Energetic, loved him. What a great human. Didn't work out very well for him at Notre Dame, but he was the Moeller High School coach and then went right from high school to Notre Dame. And so we, we I tried shot first, missed a half court shot. He shot, missed it. I shot third, missed it. He buried nothing but the net. And literally, honest to God, after he made that his second half-court shot, 
because he loved basketball. He walked out of the gym, said, I can't wait to see it at Notre Dame. I didn't see him till my recruiting trip. Wow. He, he literally, he went around, shook hands, said, oh, I got you. And he was, it was, it was fun, but I'm sitting there in shock. I'm saying, this guy waltzed into my gym and beat me at a jump <laughs> shot from half court. So, yeah, I was. I was recruited by them all. And, Grant, there was an article in, in the L.A. Times when I was coming. I was going to play all three sports at USC. Rod Dato, I would have played outfield. That was a team with Randy Johnson, Mark McGuire, wow. Jack Del Rio. We were we were loaded with some studs. And I and Stan Morrison recruited me. And I'll never forget. I wasn't going to play my freshman year because I wanted to academically, you know, carry a load and be a good student. And then I I wanted to compete for the starting job because I was you know, a high school All-American quarterback and, and was fortunate to get recruited. But the basketball and baseball time I put in, which allowed me to get recruited, I I was going to play all three in high, in, in, at SC. And then about two weeks before, we're, we're six and one in in uh, my sophomore year starting. We're leading. We're a top five, top ten team in the country. And I'm leading the nation in passing. I'll be damned if it must have been maybe the second quarter I shredded my knee and couldn't play. Came back the next year, and I'm rehabbing. So to win the starting job, I competed in spring, so couldn't play. Basketball, baseball were have always been my first loves, and football was third. And I fortunately finally went out for high school football. My dad and the athletic director said, go out and just give it a try, see if you like it. And before you know it, I'm getting recruited, and the, the rest is history. So I was blessed. I worked at it. and uh, But still to this day, I'll choose football third or fourth before I'll choose. I'll choose baseball and basketball over both of them. Wow. I had a great experience in the Canadian Football League for two years doing the games on TV when Sacramento had a team for a very brief period of time. And I got to tell you, I absolutely loved it. I love visiting all of the Canadian cities in the summertime. I love the game. You were in Winnipeg and you won a great cup. What was that experience like for you? It was awesome, Grant. I I didn't know if you'd have told me like when I was at college that number one, football was going to be my what I made a living at, you know, when I went to college initially. And because I it was awesome at USC, you know, I, I felt like if I could go play at USC, that's the best competition I'll ever face when you're placing Chip Banks and Jack Del Rio and Marcus Allen's on your team. And so, but I, you know, you, you, you hold that hope, but you just never know. And then my first two years in the league, I was a backup and I wanted to play. My contract was up. And so my agent said, well, what about Canada? I said, I, and if you'd have told me 10 years before that, I would have gone to Canada. I would have said, why would I go play AAA football? Yeah, that that was the thought process. Sure. Which was I, it wasn't disrespectful because I'd known what Warren Moon had done, and obviously Doug Flutie had, had went up there, and and there's so many great players, and I learned more about it obviously when I was there. But I I, I said let me try it, and they, they they gave me a nice contract, so I went up there, and I thought okay, and I remember the first time I took a snap, Mike Riley, the great Mike Riley, was my head coach, and. And, and about two weeks into it, because I missed training camp because I was in an NFL training camp. And so I said, do I want to keep trying to, I got to get some experience. So these guys look at me different. Right. And so I, I went up there and about two weeks of being up there, we'd already started the season. Tom Mickey, God rest his soul. He just passed away in the last couple of years. He during pregame warm up for a game. He blew the bursa sack in his elbow <laughs> and, and he, he couldn't play. He was on the training table. He, could, he couldn't play. He was flushed white and, getting, wow. you know, fluids on, on the, in, in the training room. And Coach Riley came and said, Sean, you're going to have to play. And I told him, I said, no, I don't have to play. I get to play. And Tom was such a great help. And I was like, felt so bad for him. But I had a job to do for my team. And I went out there and the, I never gave the job back. It was unfortunate for Tom. And he was nothing but a great support the whole time. And an incredible human being. And I was coaching. I learned how to call my own plays because most of the time that year I called my own plays. But the very first time I took a snap, those slots were running towards the line of scrimmage. 
And I stopped and I said, well, we can't do that in, in Coach Ryan. I'd seen CFL, but you know that I was thinking about illegal motion, but you can do that. And so Coach said, no, no, Sean, we, we obviously do that here. And I said, yeah, you're right. My bad. But they never got the job back. We went on. We won a great cup. And we're, and it was the people were amazing. The parade was awesome. Whenever you, I don't care what level or where it's at, a championship's a championship. And I had one of the funnest, well, two of the funnest years in my life. And it's weird how after the 89 season, we'd won the Grey Cup in 88 and 89, came back, had another good year throwing the ball. And then like 10 teams, I, I was a free agent. So I went on like a 10-team tour. And it's amazing how just a little experience, they looked at you different. So now I knew it was going to be a legitimate shot. But the, the, the experience of winning a championship with incredible teammates, it was good for me. We threw the ball a lot, and I learned a great deal about football. And, and I'll never forget the way the people treated me. And to win a great cup in your first year of starting in professional football was pretty cool. Sacramento's first ever game. I want to paint this picture for you. It's against Doug Flutie and the Calgary Stampeders in Sacramento. And I'm doing the yeah, game on T. With that one yeah. Oh, boy. Right? Oh, boy. You got that right. And uh, But it's a big deal in Sacramento. But it w- And I was doing the game on TV with Jack Youngblood. So it was 107 degrees. The game starts at 6 o'clock. And, again, it's a big deal. First game ever in Sacramento. And it is, you know, one of those hot, hot, hot summer afternoons, early evening in Sacramento. So, anyway, we come on and do our scene set. And we break for the commercial, and we come back and we're on camera. And Jack says, man, is it hot up here? And they had just had the national anthem, and they had the Sac State choir on the field, and the gals were in long green gowns, and the guys were in, you know, black tuxes. So I say to Jack, after he says that, I said, well, Jack, you know, it could have been worse. You could have been on the field singing the national anthem in one of those black tuxedos. And he says to me on camera, Grant, let me tell you something. I'm up here sweating like a fat girl. OK, <laughs> no, no. And, and I paused for like two seconds live TV and I said, folks, that's young blood with a Y. Could you imagine if somebody today said, Grant, let me or anyone on TV said, man, I'm up here sweating like a fat girl. What the hell the reaction would be? Oh, are you kidding? They'd walk up and escort him out the booth. And, that's, and, if, and if, it's, if, if that's Jack saying it, guess what? And everybody afraid of you. he still looked like he could play him. Oh, right? yes. Oh, and you're damn right. Oh, hell, boy. Oh, yes, 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 yes. One, one of the toughest son of a bitches on the planet. Yep. So it's like, uh, I'm not going to say anything to Jack anyway, but the one of the nicest dudes. And I'll tell you what, he might have been down there. He might have been the only one that could stop. Him <laughs> on a day like that. So I, oh, Grant, you and I both know. The, the way that would have went is that you, even if it's joking and laugh and everybody you're knows done. what you mean. Oh, you're not allowed to say that. Well, I was joking. And you know what? Then you got to say fat with a PH and yep. then everybody's good with it, right? Can't be fat with an F. But uh, you know uh, what? If, you're, if you're fat, you're fat. We all got to look at the mirror and fix it. But you're exactly right, man. Nowadays, you got no hey, shot if Jack Youngblood says that. Speaking of Jack, I mean, Jack Nicholas comes out, supports Trump. And you would have thought that Jack just ran over a bunch of people in a parking lot. And listen, I am so upset at the fact that we are no longer, as a country, able to have constructive dialogue and conversation. And there are so many people that are so quick to put a label on someone for, for, I mean, Jack Nicholas, 80 years old, and everything is accomplished. And I'm looking at social media and all the comments today, and I can't freaking believe it. it, it it's mind-boggling, Grant. He, he, the way I look at it, listen, common sense and respect. I, I don't I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for Jack Nicholas or anybody else. I, I know this. For me, I don't care what walk of life you come from. I've never cared how much money you make. I don't really care who you vote for. I've never let friendships be ruined by a race, religion, who you vote for. I won't let it. I just will not let it happen. Amen. You know, I, I just won't let it happen because you know what? I got a, some of my buddies 
whether conservative or liberal, as some of my best friends in the world disagree, are 180 degrees different from me. But you know what? When it's all said and done, you dog each other, you have fun, you laugh, you do your thing, you hug, and you realize what's more important is the value of the friendship and the rest of it. Listen, I don't control everybody thinks. I don't control, you know, if you're respectful and kind, whatever happened, comedians can't even do anything anymore. You're, you're not even allowed to make us laugh anymore. And, and who you vote for, oh my gosh, I know plenty of players. And I get asked this all the time. I know plenty of players that kneel and love America and love the flag. Whether, whether you, we, you agree with them, Neil, or not, who love America, love the flag, love the military, they're just against something, right? And that's okay. And I also know plenty of guys who stand, put their hand on their heart, and aren't racist and don't want police brutality, okay? I, it, it's all walks of life, but you're exactly right. It's amazing now that you and I, if we differ on something, how I can't differ from you, and if you like somebody and I don't, or you like somebody uh, – uh, uh, a team and I don't, or you can't, it's like, it's always got to be combative. The truth of the matter is, I don't know where we went wrong. Maybe it was social media. May, I, I don't know. Cause I like people having a voice because dialogue's good, but just because your dialogue may be different from Joe six packs. I, I don't understand the hatred and the anger. I just don't have it in me. I love passion, but I also love compassion. And there's a lot of good people who think different than I do politics just like I'd hope they feel the same way about me. But I think Jack Nicholas has enough skins in the game to say what he wants and vote for whoever he wants without us browbeating him over it. And I don't care if it agrees or disagrees with who I vote for. Jack Nicholas is quite frankly allowed to endorse and, and, and anybody he wants. That's his business. Well said. Well said, Sean. You were must-see TV when you were on ESPN, and I had the uh, absolute pleasure and privilege of working with John Clayton for a period of time in the late 90s when I was flying back and forth to Bristol to do game night on Saturday and Sunday on the radio, and I got to know right. John very well. You and John were, were must-see TV. That experience of being on SportsCenter in that environment, that period of time in your life, how would you rate that? I'm not sure. I, I, I love competition. And I told you at the beginning and I love I, what I miss when people ask me what I miss about football. First grant, I, I tell them, I said, I, you know, the paychecks are great, but I, I, I always feel I can, I can make a living, you know, just like you're so good at this. You're, you're going to make a living. I, I know I can, uh, at least it, it, that I'll, that I can survive that. I, at least I believe I can. And I, I don't, I, I'm not insecure about that. And so I, I, the thing I miss the most when they say, what do you miss? I miss the locker rooms and I miss, the competition against somebody that I had to play, you know, my chess match, Kyle Shanahan versus Bill Belichick. I, me versus, you know, Rod Woodson in the Pittsburgh Steeler game. What's he doing or what's Bill Cowher doing compared to Denny Green and I and Brian Billick? I, I miss that. And, and the guys laughing and joking and not judging each other because we all come from different walks of life, right? I do. I crave it because you'll never, you never get that. Coaching's the closest, but you never quite get that again. Well, you try to create it in your life, competition and being successful and take on new challenges. That 12 years with me at, at ESPN television, while I miss sports with some of the best, if not that I'm forever grateful to ESPN for the, the opportunity they provided me and taught me. The people I met there, 
from Stuart Scott and Chris Berman to guys that are still to the Dan Patricks to sitting on the set with Carl Ravitch and Scott Van Pelt and inside jokes while we're doing a highlight and laughing what people can't see. And, you know, the jokes and the, and the hardcore analysis. And then the John Clayton thing. They walked up to me in the newsroom and said, I've known John a long time. I said, let's try it. This was Mark Shapiro. And you know Mark sure. was the big boss there at the time. And then a senior coordinating producer. I said, yeah, let's try it. And they put it on. And it became a cult following still to this day. And John and I go on each other's radio show each week now and play four downs in Seattle and in mine in Houston. Awesome. And and we when I left ESPN, he was one of the first people that contacted me. And when they asked, I said, well, let's see how it works. And it became such a, for whatever reason, it just worked. And we never scripted it. They'd ask us questions apart because John was usually on the road. And then they'd fire the questions and maybe one bonus question and we'd get after it. And we—it's like that—that that sheepdog and wolf. You know when they clock the when they clock into work on the cartoon and their buddies walk into work with their lunch pails, that old school cartoon. And then when the when it's over, they clock back out. They try to kill each other during the day, <laughs> and then they then they clock back out and they're good friends. That was John and I. John, good luck. Have a good one, brother. That's great. And that's that eight minutes, and then we'd come back and. Hey, great job. It was never scripted. It wasn't you do this and you do this. We just went after it and it was competitive. We've remained. I, I had nothing but the utmost to use. I think John Clayton, John Clayton would walk to the middle of the universe to give his shirt off. I mean, he's that kind of guy to give his, the shirt off his back to to help others. He's a phenomenal preparer. He has gave me some great one line zingers. We had a blast doing it. Those 12 years with the production people from the camera people, I'll never forget it. I'd, I'd love the opportunity to do it again. I don't know if people think we're the best, but I damn well know we were the first. And and I think we did it pretty well. But we had the production crew and everybody else uh, probably more responsible than we were for good stuff. We just gave pretty good content. But I'll never forget it. And the friends I met, I'll take with me forever. I loved my time there. You talk about giving the shirt off your back. And that's you, Sean. And I admired the way you live your life, because there are so many that are so quick to judge now, and all they do is yap, 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 bitch and talk, bitch and talk. As I said, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. You talk the talk, you walk the walk. You talk about giving the shirt off your back. For those that do not know the story about Russell, fill us in on that experience and how that not only changed Russell's life, but had a huge impact on your life. I'm, I'm really grateful you asked me this, Grant. And uh, I, I, first of all, listen, I've listen, I, I've been a dumbass plenty of times in my life. It's that you say something stupid to somebody or you offend your, you say something to your mom that you wish you could take back. You know, we, we've all been a dumb shit before in our life. Okay. And then, but I've always tried to have compassion. I thought I knew what compassion was. I'd been through my own rock bottom. And when you hit rock bottom, you got two choices. You can either keep digging and and then get deeper into rock bottom, which I did for a while, or you can build a ladder and climb out. And, and along the way, you need friends like you and buddies of mine along the way or family members or good people that know who you are, right? What your character is, even if you make a mistake. So everybody's got a rock bottom. It just depends on which one it is. And everybody's got a skeleton or 10. It just depends on how big they are in the closet, right? So what it helped me to through all this is to become transparent, to be open, Instead of, you know, we also guarded. And I said, you know what? I think people want to know who you are. And so I, I was feeling sorry for myself. I've been divorced and I was in Dallas and I live in Houston. So it's four hours away and it's Christmas. And I, this, it was my Christmas to have, you know, their good mom had them the next morning on Christmas day. It was my Christmas to have them Christmas Eve. 
and my three children, my daughter and my two sons, we got together, exchanged gifts, had dinner, did all that, and stayed the night. And they go and woke up at their mom's house the next day. So I drove, was on my way back to Houston. And it's, Grant, just to paint the picture, I'm headed up or down I-45, about 45 minutes, 40 minutes outside of Dallas. And I'm feeling sorry for myself. Uh, you know, my eyes are watering a little bit, not to be cheesy, but they were. I wanted to be with my kids. I was going through, you know, just back into turning my life around. And in the process of all this, I'd lost a house. My dad, it, within 18 months, uh, 18, 18 and a half months, my, I'd been divorced. My dad died. I'd lost my house. I'd lost a job. And I was just reeling. And I'd finally started to work my way back with some help and opportunity. So I'm driving back. And I've been about a year into my new job, but I'm still feeling sorry for myself. And I'm driving up to, to, down the freeway, and I'm thinking, I wish I was with my kids and blah, blah, blah. And so I see a guy walking alongside the freeway on the shoulder, just in, you know, just off the shoulder. And it's about 60 degrees, maybe wind blowing. He's carrying a big old duffel bag and a baseball cap with a big jacket on. It's, it's semi-uphill. I drive by him. And I'm thinking to myself, for about the next 8 to 10 miles, I'm in the fast lane. And I'm thinking, Sean, go back. It's Christmas Day. This is Christmas Day now. Wow. I'm driving back to Houston to go have dinner with friends of mine in Houston and their family and to watch some college bowl games and NBA on Christmas Day, right? So I go about 18, and I, there's an off-ramp. And sometimes, you know, you'll go three or four miles before you get an off-ramp out there in, 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 the open, in the open road. So I swerve across, and I get off the off-ramp about eight, eight miles down the road. I go over the overpass, come back down. The whole time I'm thinking – I hope somebody in that 15 minutes or whatever it's been picked him up. So I'm driving back north, and he's still walking south, and I look across the freeway about back eight miles, and he's still walking. Nobody picked him up. So I got to go about three more miles to go under the underpass to go back south, if that makes sense. So I pull up to him. I roll the window down in my truck, and I got a $100 bill between my fingers. And I'm trust me, at the time, I'm trying to make ends meet myself, right? So I got $100. And I look out and I said, Merry Christmas. He's got long grayish silver hair and, you know, just a, probably about a buck 60 has about four teeth in his head. That's it. Mm. But a nice guy. So I stick the hundred dollars out bill out the window, not to be, you know, to be condescending, but say here, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. I hope life's okay for you. And he took, he looked at the hundred and he said, you sure? I said, yeah, I'm take this. I rolled the window back up. I wished him luck. And as I started to put the truck and drive, I shoved it back in the park, hit the window. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to Katy, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston. I said, for what? He said, well, I'm going to go find work there. I said, throw your duffel bag in the back of the four-door truck. I said, put it in the back and pop, pop up here in the front. And I'm, and this is so horrible because I'm like an obsessive, compulsive, non-smoking hygiene guy. Right? Right. <laughs> so the first thing that comes to my mind is, and this is so horrible, but transparent. I'm thinking it's Christmas day, Sean, how dare you think this, but is he going to smell a cigarette smoke? And am I going to have to drive him for an hour? And, 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 you know, I thought, how dare you after the long, I'm thinking you, it's so pathetic, right? That the judgment that we all put on people. So he's nothing. He gets in, I introduce myself. We start talking. And I said, well, if I'm going to drive him and I'm thinking I'm going to take him to a truck stop grant about it, you know, 30 minutes away, one that has the showers, I'm going to get him more food, Get the money, get him warm if they need a beanie, whatever it is, right? And then I'm going to take care of him. Then I'm going to finish my the next three hours or two and a half hours of my drive back to Houston. We start talking. He's a big sports fan. St. Louis Cardinals baseball fan. I said, how'd you get here? He said, oh, I've been walking and hitchhiking for, for, for a handful of days. Wow. 
I said, really? I said, how'd you get to this point? He goes, well, I'm estranged from my family. I talk, I, I, I went through a drug problem years ago. I don't have an ID. I don't have a social security card. And I don't have a uh, birth certificate. Didn't know where any of it was. Now, he's just about 59 years old, smart. Very, and we started talking history, and I'm telling you history buff. So we're driving, and I'm thinking, I'm going to drive him a little farther. So we get inside. I said, where do you want to go to Katie for? I said, where are you going to sleep? Because I'm going to take out my sleeping bag, and I'm going to put it under a tree, and that's where I'm going to sleep for the next handful of months because it's warm here. It's cold in, in St. Louis. I said, huh, okay. So we're talking, and we're just talking about everything. So I get inside the area about an hour outside of Houston near the woodlands, and all he wanted to do was get inside the bus area so he could always take the bus. He couldn't drive. And so I go into a hotel. I'm checking him into a hotel. I'm going to pay for it for a few days and give him some more money and say good luck. So we check in. She goes, no, you can't get the bus from here. you got to go about another 20 minutes inside the loop area to get to, to, to take the bus all over. And so I'm like, okay. And so I said, just come with me. I'm taking you into the gallery near my place. I'll put you in a hotel there. So not to make a long story any longer, I check him into a hotel. This is Christmas Day. I said, I'm going to see you in two days. Be right here. Uh, I'm going to call you tomorrow to make sure you're here. And then I'm going to drive you to Katie. And you get cleaned up and do it all. I'll drive you to Katie. And then you, I'll drop you off. Because he was going to just stand outside of Home Depot and <laughs> get odd jobs. Sure. That, that, honest to God, that's the truth. Wow. And so I, I, I call him the next day. I'm thinking, you know, a lot of times homeless, they're comfortable being homeless. And I didn't think he'd answer the phone. He answers the hotel phone. I said, I'm going to be there at four o'clock. This was two days later. Now. Hmm. Four o'clock. The next dad called him. And I said, I'll be there. But I said, I'm going to be there at four o'clock. We're going to go watch some college football games. He says, oh, OK. So I show up. He's packed, ready to go, showered, ready to go. We go to my friend's house. We start watching college football. I don't let him drink because he said he'd had he'd lost he'd lost all his teeth before because he had a drug problem like not crack but what's the uh, what, what am I thinking? Um, where you lose your teeth from? That's not crack. I, it's meth. I don't know. Yeah, that's it. Meth. Right. That's exactly right. Thank you. Sure. And so, but he'd been clean for a while. So I said, well, we're going to go over. There. I can't let you drink because my friend had a bunch of people. I'd asked him if it was okay. So we go over there and it gets about eleven thirty midnight. Games are over. Everybody's sitting around and going home. So instead of dry, I said, come on, just come stay at my place because we checked him out of the hotel. I said, I'll take you to Katie tomorrow. Well, 16 months later, ID, job, got his birth certificate. Now, it was a pain in the rear to go through all these birth certificate, got him a Social Security card, got him a job, put brand new teeth in his head, got him a haircut. He'd spend Christmases with me and my kids. My kids started calling him Rusty. Uh, got him reconciled with his family 16 months later. He's now got a job living in Missouri home and healthy, drug-free, with full teeth in his mouth. And my kids ask about him all the time. He became hmm. family. And so while I people say you changed his life, no, no, no. Well, he changed my life because I thought I knew compassion. And I know that's a long story, Grant, but I had to paint the picture. His name's Russell Bursett and one of the one of the really, really good people. We'd sit up and watch baseball games till all hours of the night. I uh, am forever grateful God put him in my way because I tried to resist it and I'll never resist an opportunity hmm. like that to make a difference because it changed my life. You know, that is so awesome. You know, I go back to conversations I used to have on the radio when people would get critical over what have you. And I would always respond, what have you done to make your community better? And I'm very often met with silence. And I, I love hearing stories like that because not only did you change his life, as you said, he changed your life. And you talked about you were on the mountaintop and then you were at ground zero. And I was curious, you know, your your upbringing and your competitiveness with sports 
And then going through your dark days, how you were able to, as you said, climb up the ladder and the impact that Russell had on you to climb really to the top of that ladder. I never, Grant, the thing I never, even though you question it, what people kept letting me know is it, it too will end. It's, it was a, such a minor thing that turned into, you know, as we do, we blow everything out of proportion. And that, and I, you know, there's times and I, I can remember waking up one morning after drinking a full body, a full bottle of Jack Daniels. And I wasn't a big drinker and laying on the bathroom floor thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through the day. And this is a true story. I questioned if mm-hmm. I wanted to. So, you know, we have mental health issues. I went through a major bout where I would lay in bed. I wasn't working. I'd lay in bed in a house that was way too big for me. My kids were off in college and I was, I, I never, I tried never to let them see, but kids are smart that, you know, what, what I was going through is just the inside. They knew what had, what had gone on with me. And I'd lay in bed till three o'clock in the afternoon. I'd go into restaurants and I'd take take out cause I didn't want to talk to anybody. Cause you feel like everybody's talking about you. How dare me to think that anybody really cares that much, but you, you go through all these, I went through anger. I went through bitterness. I went through hate. I went through alienation. I went through depression. I went through, you know what? What would happen if I just didn't make it through the day? And then I woke up one morning, literally, Grant, and I said, I can't do this anymore. But the one thing that I always realized is that good family, good friends, and a lot of prayer, that somebody was going to believe in me again because I never lost my talent. And I, I didn't hurt anybody along the way. I hurt myself with stupid decision or that and I said I can't do this anymore. I, I owe it to my children to be better, and there's I got a lot to live for. And then the next thing you know, you get a call and somebody auditions you, and then they hire you. And you're not making the money you want, but you got an opportunity, and you're working different stuff. And then the next thing you know, oh they they love your work and they're putting you on the drive time. And before you know it, you're, I'm where I'm at. So I, I, I questioned if I'd ever get back. I, I did, Grant. I, I questioned if I was ever going to make it. Uh, if I, if I, if I could get through it and I went through every emotion and then I finally went through, you know what? Uh, I was raised to be a fighter and I lost my dad during this. Mm. And so it was, I, you know, it's one of those things that everything hit me at once. And I thought, and, but I, I kept going back after my dad passed away that my dad was, my dad equipped me to deal with this. He did. And my mother, and what would my dad be saying if he saw me laying in bed till three o'clock? And not getting up and fighting back, not fighting back literally where you're trying to get. I never had the I want to get even. I was in a forgiveness mode, but I needed to forgive myself as well. And I, I thought, what would my dad be saying to me right now if I if I didn't fight back and fight back means get your ass up, go get three jobs if it takes to support your family until it's until you get the one you want. And then you keep grinding and keep grinding. And then I'd have my brother and my family or a good girlfriend finally say, you know what? It's going to happen for you again. And bingo. Here I am, and I'm not fully back to where I want to be, but, you know, if the book ever gets written, it'll simply be about uplifting people that have hit rock bottom. There's never, I don't, I don't do the hurt. I don't, people that, you know, that turn their back on you during those times, Grant, you know what I'm talking about. Darn right. They, they, that's okay. That, that's okay. Cause I, I root for people's And I also learned to root for everybody's success because somebody, everybody's going through something. And I, I, when I quit feeling sorry for myself, and quit playing that, you know, the, oh, I'm a victim. Whether you are or aren't, it, it, nobody cares. Everybody's got their own problem. So I got back to the grind of what made me do what I did in the first place. And 
And then he, and here I am today, and I'm still on the grind. I'm up at 3.30 in the morning. I'm not done yet. And I got a lot hmm. to offer in the business. And you know what, Grant, still after all these years, I still don't have a national television job. And they're and, and they're not going. And if that's if that's the goal or to build my own brand like that, then, you know, I'm doing radio and I heart and I love it. And I got a great career and I'm able to go on sports shows like this. But I, I, I'm my, my I'm still climbing that ladder again. And I'm and, and, I, and I like that view up there better than the one down when you're down and out and you're rock bottom. Rock bottom for me for a long time, about four or five years was was a quicksand. And then it became a trampoline and I bounced back up and anybody that's going through it. My only message is stay the course. Good things happen. And I'm blessed beyond belief that I was able to make it through because I didn't know if I was going to. You are such an inspiration, Sean, and to hear your stories are fascinating. It almost makes it uh, I kind of cringe that I have to make a segue to football. But I had to ask you this watching Andy Dalton with such a cheap shot on the field on Sunday and not one of his teammates came to his defense. Can you imagine you played quarterback in the NFL? Can you imagine that happening to you and nobody sticking up for you? Doesn't matter how long you play the position. That's a set that that's just when, when Andy goes back, whenever, if he has already and looks at that, his feelings will be hurt beyond belief that they, they really will. That's that when you're a player in a locker room, even though he's only been there like a half a year, you know, last off season and now, but just starting and Dak's been hurt. It'd be like a family member turning their back on you. I thought it was absolutely Bush league cowardice horseshit. I don't care if you don't like Andy Dalton or if you do or what you thought, if you got any balls at all, and I don't know, I know some of the players, what guy doesn't go now. I don't mean cheap shot the player on another play and blow his knee out or hit or, or con- concuss him, but who doesn't come to his rescue and worth, it, it would have been worth taking a 15 yard penalty for an offensive lineman to come down there, throw a forearm shiver to his damn chest and say, you know what, regardless, we may be getting our ass kicked on the field. You don't get to do that here. You're the Washington football team. You're a rival. That's not happening on our watch, no matter how bad. So not only did they get their butt kicked physically in the game, they allowed somebody to waltz in, punk their quarterback, put him in harm's way and not defend him. That's all you need to know about the 2020 Dallas Cowboys football team. Horrible. And I thought it was weak. Even if you dislike your teammate, there's a respect factor that goes along with sweating and competing and doing it and, and sacrifice. I, I listen, I've been on a lot of teams. The guys don't like each other. I've never been on a team where somebody pushed out that bad and didn't defend their football player. You work with young quarterbacks. Uh, it, it's part of your annual schedule. Is there one thing above the rest that you really try to preach to a quarterback that comes in and you see and you go, boy, okay, this person has a chance. What's the one message you give them? Um, that you're going to fail. And that when you're seven out of 21 in the first half and have thrown three interceptions and the coach won't look at you, the dog's peeing on you from home, your girlfriend wants to date the other quarterback, um, your teammates are looking, questioning if you've got the guts to come out, how are we going to deal with adversity? Because you know what? Anybody can play when it's 42 to 10 and everybody loves you. My number one thing is I preach mental and emotional toughness. Physical, listen, just to play the position, you got to have guts because people are hitting you. And people say, well, what's it like? I said, well, stand at the water cooler and let me get a 15-yard head start and hit you in the back. That's what it feels like. So when everybody questions if a quarterback's courageous or they're soft, you're talking to the wrong guy about that because not all of us could run very well, Grant. So we took a lot of hits, and I was one of them. So you learn to be tough. But my number one thing is 
it takes great sacrifice. I ask them all, first, my number one thing I ask them and their dads or their moms when they're training is, do you love to play? Is this your dad's dream or your dream? Your mom's dream or your dream? That's one. Two is, I, I, I want to know, do they love football? And, and not, not just love to play, but love to compete, but love football. But then I say, okay, now my, for me, my trait is, how am I going to get you to get rid of all the negative noise, garbage in, garbage out, and to play great and make everybody around you better when it's the worst and most dire circumstances on the field. So I put them, when I train them, I don't train them in a, in a, in an environment that's always clean pocket. Everything's great. I, I train them to deal with the rest every now and again, I'll put in it that, that I'll, there's a certain word I say that if that's the case, no matter where we are three weeks later, that's, that's time we got to throw hot. Are, are they paying attention? And I spend just as much time on the study and tape and the mental side as I do the physical side. Cause I say, okay, you're an eighth grader. When you go to high school, how many guys do you think want to be the starting quarterback of a high school football team of uh, thousands and thousands? And how many are going to go to college? You want to play division one football? All right. Or, or, or any kind of football and extend your high school career. How are we going to get there? Think about how many high school quarterbacks there are and how many jobs there are to get when it comes to scholarships. So I try to put all that in, but my number one thing I teach them is be a great, I don't need to teach them normally how to be competitive. Cause I think that just comes naturally. So my thing is how to deal with pressure and duress when, and when everybody thinks you can't and in the process you're elevating players and can you win when you're not playing your best? And so if we can bring in, I know that sounds like a lot, but for me, I'm in the self-esteem building business, but I'm also in the reality business and I'm in the teaching business. I don't just coach them. I teach them and I teach them how to be great teammates. I teach them how to feel good about themselves, but also part of being a good teammate is it's not your other guy's fault. The ball's on the ground. It's, it's that, that we're, we're going to take that accountability that goes with it because that's the position we decided to play, but self-esteem and I, I to, to, to train them, to deal in adverse conditions, then the rest is gravy. If it's clean pocket or easy, no problem. How do you play when, when the temperature of the game is at its hottest? And most of my guys walk out of it pretty damn good. Now, some of them, when it's clean pocket, is like, damn, coach, uh, I don't get this very often. We got to work on this. But I, I try to cover it all, Grant. I don't leave any stone unturned because I'm obsessive compulsive about it. But I, and I also, most importantly, I try to make it fun. Because if they don't have fun with me, they'll hate football. And I don't want that to happen. Final thing for you, Sean. You talk about still climbing the ladder. If you could write your own ticket, what would be next for you? What would be the ideal job for you? Oh, man. That is one hell of a question. I, and I think about it every day, Grant. I, uh, I, you know, I've been offered, I was offered the Arizona Cardinals quarterback coach job a handful of years ago when Denny, was the, Denny Green was the head coach. And I almost became an offensive, uh, you know, working with quarterbacks at LSU, which would have been, I would have been there when Joe Burrow did it, but I think they made a really good choice with Joe Brady because they went 50 to know. <laughs> so I, that, that was a great choice. Right. Joe's going to be a great and Steve Ensminger together. And that's about as fine a college football individual season and team season. But just to be a, I love that competition. I miss that. If you told me I could coach at my alma mater and be a head coach there, I would have to say that'd be a, a dream because I think you can influence young kids' lives. I don't mind the recruiting because I like the parents to know about their kid. I like the I like the accountability of taking care of the kid, giving him a chance to compete. Since I've been through all the recruiting and all that, I, I think I could help them. So I would probably say 
being an influence in kids at, at, at the college level would be awesome. If I stay, if, if the media was it, I would probably, I want to go on the motivational speaking tour and change lives to tell them they can win when they don't think they can. That that's part of it. I would love to be that guy that goes around to corporate 500 companies, to individuals and, and teach them that it's okay to fail. Just don't live there. But as far as the media, I would love a chance to go back. I would love to do Monday night football or Sunday night football, be on one of those where it's the, where everything you say, people are listening when I say yep. everybody, but listening sure. to, I would have loved that. Cause I was at the, you know, I was able to do big college games. I, I think it'd be fun to sit on the set of college game day too. I think that's one of the great gigs on the planet, the studio show. I think Herb street's got a great job and he's phenomenal at it. And then he gets to go call the game. So you get the best of both worlds. You get the opinion and then you get to go watch the game and react. So probably one of those, because I absolutely love the – and I like a game where we don't know what's happening, Grant. You know, pre- and post-game, we already know – at least we're predicting what happened and talking about what did happen. But I would probably say, because that's the pinnacle, the challenge of saying, can you keep people interested if it's a bad game? And I, and, and I think that's a, the, the great – John Madden could do it. I'm not comparing myself. But that – you know, there are certain barometers you'd like to get to, and those guys are so good at it. The great ones are so good at it. I think Romo does a fabulous job of teaching. I, I, I do. And there's certain guys that have so much energy. And so that would probably be it, one of those games. But if you said, Sean, Monday night football or coaching USC, I'd probably have to say that coaching thing goes by in a hurry. I'd probably have to say the pride of walking down that tunnel and being a college football coach at my alma mater would probably be the hmm. dream job. Sean, your life story is amazing. Your ups and downs, uh, refreshing with your candor and your transparency. Uh, I love you, man. Uh, I have so much respect for you as a human and your effort to make other lives better because, to me, that's what life is truly all about. I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. Just really enjoyed it. My man, as I go away, I know you got more to do. I will say this. I've been uh, – I'm fortunate. You know what? The journey of hitting rock bottom is the best thing that can ever happen to me because then you appreciate the successes more. I got a long way to go. I'm just an average guy, but trying to do great things. And when I get to come on with you, thank you for allowing me to share the story. And I'm here for you anytime. And you know, my man, what I'm talking about when I say you will rise to the top again. Thank you, Sean. You're the best man. Be well. Take care. Love you, brother. Thank Love you, you too. Yep. Boy, okay. I'll tell you, folks, that's great stuff. I could talk to Sean Salisbury for hours and hours and hours. And I always talk about making a difference in society. Stand up for what you believe in. Help your fellow man. Make a difference in your community. There aren't enough people that make a difference in their community. What are they going to say about you on your day of reckoning? When they're sitting around at your memorial service or your funeral. What are they going to say about you? I know what they're going to say about Sean Salisbury. I know what they're going to say about Sean Salisbury. And I know there are going to be a lot of people there that are going to tell stories of how Sean changed their lives. And to me, there is nothing better than that. All right, we move on. And it's time now for a little Q&A. You go to crowdquestion.com. takes a minute to sign up. And you can ask me a question. And then on my podcast, I will answer a couple of your questions. The first one is a dandy. And it is from Max. And I've seen many people ask this question. And I'm just like, why duck it? There's really no reason. Again, if I'm going to be transparent and I'm going to have Sean Salisbury on and I'm going to do a podcast and I'm going to do my rants and I'm going to put it all out there, then I'm either going to put it all out there 100% or not at all. So, Max, 
asks this question. Hi, Grant. I've been seeing stuff online about your relationship with Doug being fractured. Is it true? Can you talk about it? I'll answer the question, Max, this way. And it's something I have ingrained in my head from this summer's events. MLK Jr. said this, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Basically says comments from your enemies may hurt, right? That's what that saying by MLK Jr. means, right? Comments from your enemies may hurt. However, the hurt from friends not standing by and supporting you is forever remembered. Now, I would like to just take all of that and succinctly sum it up in just one word. And that one word is coward. Next question. Jamie from the Bay, dead or alive, who would you want to interview the most? I've always wanted to interview Bill Parcells. I've always been fascinated by Bill Parcells as a football coach, his stories, his journey through his coaching career before he landed as the head coach of the New York Giants. I've always admired him. I've admired the way he does his job. I love listening to his stories. So would that probably be uh, Bill Parcells? And finally, Brittany. Do you think MLB will be as popular going forward? Many teams in a league like the San Francisco Giants and manager Gabe Kapler knelt all season during the national anthem. It seemed to cause a distraction with the team, especially after a bullpen pitcher refused to kneel. Do you think all of this turns people away? I think it turns some people away. I don't think it was a distraction for the Giants personally. But again, I, I, I've been very consistent with this. I, I said this before Colin Kaepernick took a knee. And that is uh, political and social stances at sporting events is going to turn away people. Now, we don't really know how many people yet because there aren't fans that are allowed into the venues. You know, the TV ratings are down, but there are a lot of reasons for that. And we really won't know the full effect of your question and what we are discussing until you're allowed to have arenas and stadiums at full capacity. And at that point in time, okay, at that point in time, we'll know. All right, if you want to ask me a question, just go to crowdquestion.com. Again, it takes just a minute to sign up. Leave me a question, and I might just answer it here on the podcast. It's time for Rant. 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 Today's rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing, locally owned in Sacramento for 20 years. Leak detection, water line repair, plumbing repair, bathroom plumbing, Repiping for Kitech and copper pipes. New Works Plumbing is a full-service plumbing solution. No matter how small or how large your plumbing problem, folks, let me tell you, they have got a fix for you. New Works Plumbing, experienced technicians always on call 24-7. For all of your plumbing needs, just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. All right, you heard me talking about this with Sean Salisbury. And one thing I'm really trying to do with this podcast is to continue my education because I want to learn. And we talked about Jack Nicholas. So Jack comes out with a tweet endorsing President Trump. And Jack Nicholas has been getting killed. And again, I go back to in this country why we are unable to have a difference of opinion and a conversation. 
And I'm reading a lot of the things that are being said about Jack Nicklaus. As if his 80 years on the planet and everything that he has done, both on the golf course and off the golf course, now have absolutely no meaning. And I do not understand that. So I'm going to ask you this question. You're a fan. Pick a team. And you find out that the owner of the team that you absolutely love has a difference of opinion in who they are voting for than you do. Let's say you're voting for Joe Biden on Tuesday. And you find out that the owner of the team that you absolutely love is voting for Donald Trump. Are you going to stop rooting for that team? Are you going to all of a sudden not wear your jersey because the owner of the team that you love has a difference of opinion in who they're voting for? They have a different view of what's going on in this country? Are you just going to root for another team? I've never understood that. I'm a, everyone knows me. I'm a diehard, crazy New York Giants fan. I started going to the games at Yankee Stadium in 1962. I'm still a crazy, schizo Giants fan. I don't give a damn who the Mara family and the Tish family vote for. I don't care. It makes no difference to me. I don't care if they vote for Biden. I don't care if they vote for Trump. I don't care if they don't vote at all. What difference does it make? I'm not there to, you know, learn more about the Tish and Mara family. I don't care, okay? I wish they cared more about their damn football team. Maybe they would have more than one win. But that, that's not really part of this conversation with this rant. So I'm asking you, would that change your allegiance to your favorite team? I mean, Jack Nicholas is getting killed because he's come out publicly and said who he's voting for. Really? Is that the type of country that we're living in now? Please help me understand this because as Sean and I were talking about, I don't get it. It's such a sad commentary on what's going on in the good old U.S. of A. And that's my rant for today. That's my podcast for today. Once again, my thanks to Sean Salisbury. What a phenomenal 40 or 45-minute conversation that was. Sean Salisbury, truly making a difference in the world. Folks, if you don't like this, with Grant Napier saying, have a great weekend, everybody.